For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? First of all, I'm celebrating the fact that I am here. Uh, I am back on my own computer tonight. Uh, just about a week or so ago, uh, I went online to order tickets for Mark Nadler, who's going to be doing a show in a couple of weeks, uh, well, next month in Wayne, New Jersey. I wanted to get tickets for a show, and there was a glitch on the website. And by going back and forth a couple of times, my computer crashed, and it burnt uh, my entire uh, fusion drive, uh, sometimes called a hard drive. So I had to go to the Apple store and I had to have my computer completely overhauled. Uh, and while that was happening, I have been on a temporary computer for the last few days. So as I tried to get on tonight, uh, I realized my computer, uh, my camera was uh, kaflui, my microphone was kaflui. Uh, Barbara Minkus, very, uh, who I am thrilled is on the show tonight, uh, was very patiently waiting in the wings. And all of you were very patiently waiting. So thank you for holding on and waiting to get on. So tonight we are celebrating so many things. We are celebrating Barbara Minkus and her 18 minutes of fame. I think they're more than 18 minutes, and we're going to celebrate all of them tonight. We're also celebrating tonight Ann Kittredge. Ann Kittredge has a brand new CD called Reimagine. And you may wonder, why are we talking about Ann Kittredge tonight when we are celebrating Barbara Minkus? Well, Ann Kittredge is my sponsor for the week. And she is sponsoring all of the shows that you're seeing. So thank you, Ann Kittredge. And I hope that all of you will take the time to visit her website and you will take a moment to listen to her new CD, or better yet, purchase it, and especially take the time to listen to her track of Before the Parade Passes By. Because this week is Jerry Herman's birthday. Uh, well, his birthday was on July 10th. And we are going to be celebrating Jerry Herman this Saturday night with some surprise guests, including Ann Kittredge. So thank you, Ann, uh, for helping us to make this show and all of the shows this week possible. Now, I want to talk about Barbara Minkus. In this business, when you meet someone that comes along that you consider a true friend and they are hard to find in this business, you are truly lucky. And Barbara Minkus is one of those people. I still remember vividly the day that I was at Don't Tell Mama and Sidney Meyer came up to me and he was telling me about Barbara Minkus. And of course, I knew her uh, because I was a television geek and I knew her from her many appearances on Love American Style. So I was thrilled to meet her for the first time. And of course, I began as a fan of hers, never realizing that or believing that we would become good, good, good friends. 
Today is also Start a New Conversation Day. And it's not like we're starting a new conversation. It's as if our conversation never ends. I'm going to bring her on in just a few moments. But before I do, I'd like to give you a glimpse of her show, which is playing in L.A. right now. She's taking it to Florida and many other places. And hopefully she will be bringing it back to New York. I had the pleasure of seeing it the last time it was in New York. And COVID, of course, as it's done with all of us, took it a little off course. But hopefully it'll be back. Barbara? I am so thrilled that you're here tonight, and let's celebrate your more than 18 minutes of fame. Barbara Minkus. You know, throughout my life, many people have struggled to say the name Minkus. When Danny Kaye said it, it was magic. Ladies and gentlemen, Barbara Minkus. Get ready. Get ready. labels. Carol was the beautiful, intelligent professor, and I was the funny dummy rummy. I stopped getting on the scale when I got into high school because I weighed over 200 pounds. But for me, the best part about playing Fanny Bryce was coming out after the encores and singing her song wasn't in the show. It cost me a lot, but there's one thing that I've got. It's my man. The last song in the show is when Rose tells her mother and father can't marry Yessel Fishbein because she loves Hyman Kaplan and she has to follow her heart. When will I dare to let my heart go? I have so much love I want to give. Israel really did change my life. This is a sacred prayer, asking God for his blessings. Avinu Malkeinu, Shema Koleinu, Avinu Malkeinu, Chetanu Lefanecha. Here's to you. 
And here's to you. Hello. I wish I had some wine. <laughs> well, this is grape juice, so no oh. wine for me. So how are you tonight? First of all, and as I begin every show, who or what are you celebrating tonight? Well, actually, I'm celebrating you. Oh, that's very kind of you. Because Richard Skipper. Mm-hmm. Getting proclaimed. <laughs> Richard, it's almost like we're soulmates. I, I must tell you that because I feel you and you have always been there for me. And there, it's not just in show business, but I find to have that kind of a true connection with someone, I would do anything for you. And my husband knows it. So. <laughs> We're safe. <laughs> so you know, I choose a word every day, and the mm-hmm. word that I chose today is advocacy, because I would advocate for you always, <laughs> and I have. Um, and we've had so many incredible, deep conversations, um, and we've shared shows together. Uh, we've even appeared in shows together. Uh, We've never actually sung together, except for group numbers, that kind of thing. Um, And we're going to talk about the road that led to your 18 minutes of fame. Uh, And uh, I began with, uh, I've got two random questions or surprise questions. Uh, And these are two questions that I haven't even looked at to start with. And then we're going to start on this road that led to where you are. And the first question is, Would you rather not, uh, well, this is a bizarre question. It's a strange question. And, but I I don't look at these questions before the show. So I know this is going to sound odd, but it's an interesting question. I, on Sunday, uh, had, uh, I'm going to say the pleasure of planning a memorial for my dear friend, Peggy Eason, Mm -hmm. uh, who was born blind. I know. And the one thing about Peggy was that she uh, never considered her blindness uh, a handicap. And if you ever considered her to be handicapped, mm-hmm. uh, that was like the worst thing you could ever do to her. So that being said, this is going to sound, it may sound like an odd question, but if would you rather not have arms or legs and why? Oh. Well, first of all, before I answer the question, I would, had the pleasure, thanks to you, of getting to know Peggy and working with her in one of your shows. And what a, a wonderfully fine human being she was as, a, as an inspiration to all of us. Mm. Because to rise above a handicap and especially blindness. You know, my husband's an ophthalmologist. I'm getting to the answer in a minute. Mm-hmm. It's He's got a whole thing about blindness and, and how he feels about helping people. And and uh, that was one of the first things that I kind of really liked about him, his compassion. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was, I want to answer your question. That is a very difficult question. I, first of all, I hope I don't lose either my arms or my legs. However, if I had to choose, I would definitely say that I'd rather lose my legs and my arms. 
Why? Well, I had an aunt, Mutsi, isn't that a great name? And she had diabetes. Mm. And uh, she had her legs amputated. And that woman was such an inspiration because she just showered everybody with an extension of her soul, which were her arms. So I'm a little prejudiced about that, you know, bias, because I, I saw what that was like. And uh, so that would be my answer, that I would like to have what my Aunt Marjorie Mutsi had, which was that great compassion of hugging people. And if, if I lost my legs, I wouldn't be able to hug them, but I'd have my arms. Wow. So I've answered your question. Yes. And the next question, and again, um, uh, and this goes for along with our theme today of advocacy, make a stand for a cause or an individual who is being wronged. And we are going through a time in this country where a lot of people are being wronged. Oh, my goodness. You have to take a stand on anything. We're, sta we're starting heavy tonight, folks. Uh, but if, if you had to take a stand for an individual or a certain cause right now, uh, who would that person or that cause be? Well, I feel extremely sad about what's happened in our country with uh, not necessarily the Supreme Court decision, because I, I understand they sent it back to the states and I get it, but what it has done to women. It it has made women feel like they don't count, like they're back. They went backwards. Susan B. Anthony, you know, back. And no matter what, you know, what state honors and what companies will pay for, you know, whatever, it is a woman's right to choose with her doctor or her family or her faith, what she chooses about her body and what she holds in her body. So I have, I have a problem with that, but I'm hoping because I, you know, my life is, life is half full for me. It's always been that way. So I want to believe without protests and, terrible, terrible acting out, that there will be some justification, some answers, some way to make women feel like they are discounted again. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm glad that we went there because I'm going to talk about moments in your life, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. uh, where you have felt discounted. Okay. You mind? No. Okay. Um, because you talk about these issues in your in your own show. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, let's start with we at the very beginning of your show. Um, you have these photographs of you as an overweight child uh, and growing right. up with those issues. We live in a uh, we both of us are in a profession where you walk through the door 
And you, there are a group of people sitting behind a table and they are making a judgment call on who you are and what you're all about before you've opened your mouth and before you put a piece of paper in front of them with your credit on it. Um, and so you've gone through uh, a whole, you know, regardless of what your uh, Ziggy stop, uh, my device just went off. Uh, <laughs> so somebody's uh, listening to us. Um, let's start there and let's go back to your title of your show, 18 Minutes of Fame. How did you come up with that title? Well, you know, <laughs> what happened was that the original show that I wrote, which is different than 18 Minutes of but it comes, it was the original, the first show was called I'm Not Famous. And I wanted to do it at the York Theater in New York. I still love to do it at the York Theater in New York. And I took it to Jim Morgan, who we both know and love. He's a good guy. And he said, Barbara, I've read this and it's a negative. The title is a negative. You have to have a positive. You are a positive person. So why would you have a negative? So I thought about it. I thought about it. And I said, you know, I left and I came back home and I said, LA, and I said, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have in my life 15 minutes of fame, you know, but because 18 is a very special number in Hebrew, it means life. I said, as I was driving and I said, that's it. It's 18 minutes of fame with the 15 crossed out mm -hmm. because I have to believe in life. I do believe in life. So that's where 18 Minutes of Fame came from. It's a great title. And uh, let's go back to the 15 Minutes of Fame. Uh, it comes, of course, from the Andy Warhol uh, quote uh, mm -hmm. that everybody at one point in life. I met Andy Warhol. Uh, I went to the uh, premiere of A Star is Born when they restored the missing footage at Radio City Music Hall. And I went up to Andy Warhol and he discounted me. And I went up to him and uh, I was in my early 20s. I, I was so excited to meet him. And I, and I said, uh, hello, Andy Warhol. And he said, do I know you? And I said, no. And I thought I was being clever. And I said, but according to your theory, I'm going to be famous any minute now. Uh, and he said, we'll come back when you are. And he turned and walked away from me. <laughs> that was bad. That and was I awful. felt my whole world. And the other night... I did an interview uh, and Marsha Milgram Dodge was on the show and she talked about meeting Jerome Robbins and that uh, when she met Jerome Robbins, which was a thrilling moment for her, he essentially walked away from her. We've all had those moments in this business where you, and you and I had a conversation recently about it, where people that you work with, and it seems to happen to people that you know in the business. Uh, people that you've worked with, people that, uh, you know, they, and whether it's intentional or not, it still hurts and it still gets deep down in your uh, soul. Uh, but it doesn't take the sting away and it hurts a little bit more. But let's start with the first layer of this onion mm -hmm. and the weight issue as a little girl in this business where um, did you feel any shame with your body 
um, as, a, as a young girl? Um, or did you feel perfectly comfortable? Was it other people that were telling you that there was something wrong in that area? Well, I want, I want to start back by saying that I there was a, has been a theme in my life where I didn't know where I belonged. Okay. Um, and I was, I'm saying this for the first time, I have dyslexia. But when I was very young, they didn't know about dyslexia. So I was labeled and I have a very big problem with labels because they're very powerful. And we grow up, unfortunately, believing they're true. And it takes a lot of work to overcome labels. So I was labeled by the adjustment teacher. Oh, Mrs. Minkus. Barbara. Barbara has learning issues. She's a slow learner. And I don't think that she will ever overcome that, Mrs. Minkus, and you need to know that. So that was the beginning. I was very young. I, I just couldn't read. I couldn't. I, I read letters that weren't there. You know, that's what a dyslexic is. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that till many years later. So that was the beginning of feeling less than and labeled. And the only gratification that I got was by eating. Everyone in my family has had diabetes or heart condition. Everyone in my family has that has died has died from obesity. So and I excuse me, but I'm going to assume probably at an early age. Yeah, it started. It started with the she's a slow learner, and I and I didn't. I, I couldn't find a place that I was at peace except when I was eating. And um, then, then it then it really became a problem because uh, the you know the kid we talk about what it's like in high school when you're ob obese because I was very I am short you know that and I was very very obese and. Um, the girls, the popular Jewish girls, uh, you know, wouldn't let me in the club. And and they called me Buffy, nickname, after the white buffalo. And so I, you know, laughed with them, of course, you know, ha, ha, ha. and I ate more. And uh, it was only when I came to New York as a fat comedian and I was hired at a very young age for at Julius Monk's review, Bits and Pieces, uh, because Gus Shermer, who kind of discovered me, so to speak, uh, an agent, took me to meet Julius. And he said, Julius, she's your next Toadie Fields. Now, I didn't know who Toadie Fields was, I swear. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I, I, I have a beautiful voice. I would say that. And I trained opera. 
But every course, of course, every time I would sing opera, no matter where I went, they would laugh. So figure that one out very early. But Julius Monk was so wonderful. He just loved how innocent and chubby and young I, you know, and he called me his little cherub. And uh, I didn't realize until I was doing the show that people in New York eat three meals a day. Because in my family, we ate all day. And then we sat down and we ate three more times. So that it was really kind of light bulb moment for me. This is also in my show, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And I decided to try it. And the weight fell off of me. Uh, I've, I mean, I still had, uh, you know, issues with food, but never obesity. I, I, I was a binge eater, a closet eater. And uh, to make a long story short, Julius Monk only saw me as a chubby cherub and he fired me because I lost all this weight. <laughs> and um, it was it was the beginning of a journey of dealing with food issues in a way that eventually I overcame by going to a 12-step program called Overeaters Anonymous. And um, I made lifelong friends in OA and it changed my life because I believe in the 12 steps and I believe in the fellowship and I weigh today 100 pounds. You know, I don't think my husband would have ever married me if I was that chubby cherub. You don't, don't, you don't think so? No, I don't. But he always says to me, and I get a little verklempt with this, how he can't get over that I have maintained this loss without being um, acting out like, oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat this. You know, I'm a lady. I can eat whatever I want. It's just I don't eat all of it. (laughs) Okay. So once I figured that out and it didn't come, you know, without a price. I mean, I was on shots and pills, pregnant women, hormones when I was doing Love America style because I wanted to be thin for the I mean, I didn't solve it right away. But I can say that I am a recovering compulsive overeater. And I do not eat compulsively anymore. Well, God bless you. Yeah. And I enjoy life and I really love eating and I also love drinking wine. And, you know, I'm okay. It's taken a long time, but I am okay. But I want to talk about several moments in your career in addition to this. I mean, you knew early on and everyone, if you get a chance to see 18 Minutes of Fame, Wherever it's appearing, first of all, if there are any booking people watching the show, book this show. Uh, and, and if you get a chance to see the show, go and see it if you're anywhere near wherever this is playing, because it is really a life affirming show. Um, I have a one man show as well. And a couple of years ago, uh, when I, before COVID, because you and I were both creating our one-person shows uh, at the same time, um, you know, we have our personal issues and there are certain things that you don't want to go, you want the audience to be comfortable uh, and you want the audience to laugh at things that we've gone through when they come to see a show. 
And I remember my sister, she happens to see this, uh, saying to me certain things that she didn't want me to put on stage. And I said, well, this is not your story. This is my story. And I know that when you're telling your story, how do you choose what, how you're going to tell your story? And how did, what was your editing process as you were putting your story on stage? Okay. Well, I didn't write the show alone. I wrote it with my friend, Susan Morgenstern, who's a wonderful director. Oh, and she directed me in Saturday night at Grossinger's where I played Jenny Grossinger. And that's how we met. <clears throat> and I'll make a long story short. She came with the producer of Love American Style to see a, a concert I was doing as a, a benefit for a church in here in LA. And um, she hated it. And so did he. And then they met me later and they said, you know, Barbara, you are just an incredible storyteller. Why don't you get together with Susan? And Susan said, yeah, I'll do it with you. And let's write a show. Because I don't know anyone, Barbara, who tells stories like you, which what a compliment. You know, he, he didn't say he liked the show, but he liked my stories. So Susan and I started this journey. And actually, it was six years ago we started it, where we would meet. And I would just tell stories and she would record them. And uh, we would choose together what was meaningful, what I wanted to get across in the, in the show. And there were some, there are some things that I would never, ever bring up. Uh, family issues that I don't feel uh, discord and family issues where I don't feel comfortable. I agree with you. Absolutely. So I would never, ever bring up uh, that. So there, there are things that I've left out, but there are a lot of things I haven't left out. <laughs> and uh, the fact that uh, the fact that I, I went on such a journey uh, and I'm still on a journey, you know. I have a secret double life that I'm only going to share when I do the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of fun that, that I was able to do that. I was able to do that because I wanted to solve this dyslexia problem. Because I, I started going to take, uh, thanks to therapy, going to UCLA and, and taking classes uh, on dyslexia and getting training, how to retool myself to read again. And it was a wonderful journey. And that led me to want to go to college because mm. I would have never gone to college as Barbara Minkus, who was a funny dummy rummy. <laughs> now I have a question uh, from uh, Brad who's watching and he said, what was it like working with Stuart Margolin? Oh, wow. <laughs> he, thank you, Brad. I, I mean, I don't say I love people often, but I love working with Stuart. He, he is and was the most fun, giving actor. When we worked together in the, doing the blackouts, he wrote most of them. You know, Charlie Rondau, who was the one of the directors and Stuart's brother, Arnold Margolin, who was the producer, gave Stuart 
you know, full reign because he is a genius. They're both geniuses. And so when he came up with an idea and there was no script, oh my God, I loved it because we got to play. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the blackouts were, you know, on beaches or at parks or, you know, or on the Western set at Paramount, the, the old city in Paramount. I mean, it was a dream come true. And he came up with stuff that was incredible. So did the writers of Love American Style, but we were the blackouts. Now the blackouts were different than the bigger stories. The blackouts were these short comedy vignettes that shot twice a year for two weeks at a time. So, and Stuart was great. And just last year, we reconnected uh, at one of these, you know, these, what do you sign autographs at, uh, what do you call it, Hollywood? And well, was, I, know, I know the answer to this question I'm about to ask you, but you can tell everyone else what happened to that brass bed that you carted all over Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell you the story, didn't yes, I? Yes, I know the story. Yes. They gave it to, Love American Style gave it to me as a wedding gift. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, they did. So it it lasted a long time. We don't have that anymore, but it, it kind of dis disintegrated. But you uh, had that bed for a long, long time. Uh, and there are so many stories. Uh, I mean, again, and I love this show so much that you've uh, created. And for, because to me, it is this story of uh, not it's not only your story, but it's a universal story for so many people in this business, but it's about perseverance. But it's not only a story about perseverance in this business, but it's also a story about life beyond the footlights. Exactly. And because you have such a wonderful love story that, uh, and that love story continues to go on. I wish you could be here in December. We're gonna have a 50th wedding anniversary. I cannot and I've already written the video. I love it. I'll send it to you, okay? Yes, yes. Um, um, thank you. You know, it was a, <laughs> I would have never met this guy. It was a blind date and he's an ophthalmologist. How's that? But I'm <laughs> I'm and, laughing up there right now. And, so. I, and this is the truth. I was so nervous about meeting him because again, I, I didn't go to finish college. I was one semester at Miami. University of Miami, and I was one year at DePaul University of Chicago. So it really bothered me how well educated this guy was, and he was a doctor. And so when he called and he asked what I looked like, I this is a true story. I didn't want to tell him I was short and funny looking. So I just said in my almost famous voice, Why don't you watch Love American Style? I'm on every day at four and Fridays at 10. I did that. And he was so sweet. He said, oh, great. I'm going to watch the show and and, and let's meet next week at, at a restaurant in Westwood. So we watch his Love American Style. And this is also in the show. And who does he see? Not Barbara Mangus. He sees Phyllis Davis, who was the beautiful brunette in the bikini. I didn't know that. So I go to the restaurant and I'm waiting, waiting for him to meet him. And there's a very handsome guy at the end of the bar. And I said, honey, you, nah, you could never be that lucky. And I'm waiting. I figured he's got to be a nerdy guy with white socks and black horn rimmed glasses, you know, doctor from Chicago. 
And finally, I go to the payphone and they tell me on my service, remember services? They tell you, they told me Arnie Beeren is at the restaurant. He's waiting for you. When you get there, tell the hostess. So I go to the hostess and I say, is there an Arnie Beeren here? And she says, yeah, he's the guy at the end of the bar. <laughs> I love this. So I go up to him and I say, excuse me, are you Arnie? And he says, yes, I am. And I say, Arnie, I'm Barbara. He's, and this was this was the beginning, two beginnings of this story. He says, you know, Barbara, I watch Love American Style and I didn't see you. The only person I saw, and this was so classy, had long, dark hair. That's Phyllis. And, and, I, and we had so much fun because here we were waiting for two different people. I was waiting for the nerd and he probably was waiting for the woman with the black, long black hair. And we had a wonderful time, wonderful time. And the, very quickly, the second date, because you see, I was a little crazy. He asked if he could see me again. And I told him that I was moving to Sunset Plaza Drive. Now, if you're in California, Los Angeles, everybody knows Sunset Plaza Drive is a step up. And so I was moving to Sunset Plaza Drive from this little house that Gary Berghoff let me stay in because he was up, 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 big star when we did Charlie Brown. Anyway, so I told him, well, why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you come to the apartment that I'm moving into? So P.S., I get to the apartment that day with the movers and the guy, and I can't remember his name, and you probably know him. He's a stage manager in New York. It couldn't move out because his escrow fell through. So, you know, I'm in showbiz. I said, so forgot all about the date with this Arnie Baron. I said, well, why don't you just stay here until your escrow, escrow comes out, comes through, and you can sleep. I have a sofa bed in the living room, right? Forgetting all about Arnie Baron. And I'm, there's a knock on the door. I'm in the bathroom late, later, you know, putting away toiletries. And Ed answers the door. And Arnie says, oh, I must have the wrong apartment. And Ed says, well, who are you looking for? And he says, Barbara Minkus. This is my date number two. And Ed says, oh, no, this I'm her roommate, Ed. I'll go get her. It's a joke. So I'm in the bathroom, I'm turning white. And I come out and I say, Arnie, I know you're not going to believe this, but I can't remember Ed's last name. This is Ed, and he couldn't move out. And so I said he could stay here until his escrow came through. And then what did Arnie Barron say to Ed? Would you like to join us at dinner? We're going to go down to probably one of the restaurants in Sunset. Would you like? And Ed, who does that? And Ed said, oh, no, no, no. And Arnie said, well, we'll bring you back some dessert. And we're walking down to Sunset. And this is what Barbara Minkus says to Arnie Barron. Anybody that would believe a story like that has to be, without a doubt, the greatest person. And I am never letting you go. And the end of the story is that Ed moved out and Arnie transferred to Kaiser Sunset and moved in. <laughs> and 50 years later, here you have it. And we had two different phone numbers, one for his parents, you know, because it was would be a Shanda, which means a shame. Yes. Living together. And one for my parents. 
And this is until our wedding day. That's where we lived. Isn't that a great story? Great. Getting back to your sh show again, writing the show, how long did it take you from paper to stage? Not long at all, because Santa Monica Playhouse was doing a, um, a uh, like a festival of one woman, one person shows. And it was about three months later. I said, let's do it. Let's do 18 minutes of fame. And I had already done Pecan Pie at Santa Monica Playhouse. Today, I'm not kidding. Today is National Pecan Pie Day. And I was thinking it's so appropriate because you played Molly Pecan uh, and brilliantly. Thank uh, you. And you, you did the role for a long, long time. Uh, what did. did you learn about yourself playing Molly Pecan, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, Yiddish actresses of all time? You, there's two words. You just One of them is advocacy and one is humanity. She was such an advocate for world issues, not just Jewish issues. Mm -hmm. And she was such a, a wonderful human being. I, I was lucky enough to meet her. You know, I, I was uh, on the Merv Griffin show a lot after Julius Monk. Um, and she was on the show. And I, this was long before I was ever going to, I was a young thing. I am going to be Molly Pecan someday, but I couldn't, I will never forget. She was an old lady and I am going to show you what she did because I think I can do this. She was backstage and I said, oh my gosh, I hope she can get on stage. I mean, I didn't expect her to be that, you know, frail. And so I'm going to just move this chair. If you do a cartwheel right now, I'm not going to do a cartwheel. <laughs> she's, she's walking and she's like this. Wait, I want to get back on. She's walking, walking, walking. And Merv Griffin says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Molly Pecan. Hi, Merv! Merv, it's so good to see you. And I'm so, wait a minute. I'm getting to fix my bra here. Wait a minute. How did she do that? because she had this in her soul. She was young in her soul. And I took away from that, I wanna be like Molly Pecan. I want to be ageless. I'm, I'm not ageless, come on, we know that. I wanna be young in my soul. Well, you are young in your soul. Don't you feel it? Oh, I do. I do, but I'm not, I'm not bragging. I mean, I just, I've always been this way. I, I mean, even when I was young, I was always younger, younger. I was always putting people together. I was, I mean, I, this is like always what pecan pie is. I thought, I mean, I didn't write the show, but I thought it's got to be pecan pie because she was a piece of pie. What was the one thing that you learned about yourself that surprised you the most from writing the show? Looking back, because obviously you're looking 18 minutes back. of fame, you mean? Yeah. 18 minutes of fame. Uh, that uh, 
listen, I would I would love it if I had uh, productions. I mean, I would would love, but I'm I'm not really known. I mean, I'm known to you, and I'm known to some people, and but. You've got a lot of fans right here. They're all, <laughs> thank you, know, you. Thank you all. I love but you. The one thing I know is that I love doing the show, and I don't care if it's off-Broadway or Theater West Solo Palooza Festival. And I also don't care if there's a lot of people in the audience. I'm just going to have a good time. That's right. And, and I know you do the same thing, Richard. Oh, it's all about that. So we're going to do a, a, a wind down of, uh, and uh, I'm going to give away a, a, a gift. I don't know what it is, uh, but you give me a call after the show and uh, with whoever our winner is. And uh, these are just some fun questions just to give them a chance to get to know Barbara Minkus a little okay. bit more. Great. And the first question is, what has been the biggest obstacle that you feel that you have faced in your career? Uh, the biggest obstacle that I faced in my career was learning how to move on. Because if you stay with uh, obstacles like getting fired, I mean, I, I got fired a lot. I hate to admit it. Uh, if you stay with those sad feelings, they 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 do bad things to your health. So the biggest ob obstacle that I have learned is that yes, it may hurt for the minute, or the or I'll give myself a day, and move on. Yeah, yeah. In this profession, uh, I mean. I'm sure that almost every person here, well, I would think, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. Uh, I've been fired. And it's one thing to get fired from a, a job, but when you get it fired in the spotlight, uh, there's nothing like it. I, I mean, you did Funny Girl, and Funny Girl right now is very much in the spotlight. I know. And... Uh, my heart aches. I don't know all the facts. None of us know all the facts. But this poor woman, and I say she has been um, driven through the mud by the media and mostly from other artists. Tell her to give me a call. <laughs> uh, mostly from other artists and that it, my heart aches for her. Um, so... Um, I yeah. What are your expectations and desires uh, for the rest of this year? Uh, it's hard for me to believe that in just a few weeks, we're going to be into the eighth month of this year. Uh, yeah. So what are your expectations and desires well, for the rest of this year? I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a project-oriented woman. Did you know that? Yes. You And I'm going to tell you that you're part of it because when I told you at the beginning of the COVID shutdown that I was doing a concert at my neighborhood and they canceled it <laughs> two days before you told me, well, put together a YouTube show and you, and, and I'll put it on and I will interview you. And Richard, I did 
35 songs and stories in the next 18 months. <clears throat> it could only be 18 months of, of about life that I wrote. The songs I would write, you know, special lyrics, on, you know, and put on a happy face or tomorrow and redo it a little. <laughs> a little. Hmm? Life is a bowl of cherries. Right. And they're so, all available, everyone, on YouTube. Yes, about I life. Watch them tonight. But you, you, you helped me do that. So I love creativity and I love projects. It doesn't have to be show business. I completely changed my kitchen. I during COVID because I just said I have to have a project, and my next project after this show, and I don't know if there will be, uh, if I'll get another booking, I, that would be great, but I don't know is that I am planning this 50th wedding anniversary luncheon. Now, why a luncheon at the Skirball? Now, if anybody is in California, Los Angeles, you know that we have a wonderful museum called the Skirball Museum. It is so beautiful. And I'm doing the luncheon there because I want my grandchildren there. Wow. I don't want to do a dinner. They're too young for a dinner. Good for so, you. Yeah. So I like having projects. It uh, keeps me busy. And I'm proud to say that the very first episode that you did of your series premiered on Richard Skipper Celebrates. That's right. So that you, is something I'm proud of. You are um, the catalyst. So beyond that show and this right now, what is the biggest impact that social media has had on your life? <laughs> Adjusting to it, having <laughs> auditions with uh, uh, these lights and it, no, nothing in person. I am, you know, I flunked computer 101. I mean, I'm working as fast as I'm dancing as fast as I can, but oh my God, to be able to audition now for things with at home and I've yet to get anything, but it's been a lot. It's been very creative and I have a wonderful cameraman. Well, you're still doing it. That's the good Are news. There? <laughs> yes. um, what do you desire for the new year as far as your show is concerned? I'm just leaving it open. It, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm very grateful that I can do the show in two, in, in two weeks uh, for three, three nights or three shows, uh, July 22nd, which is a Friday, and Saturday the 23rd at 8, and Sunday the 24th at 3. And I don't have anything else lined up. So... You know, there's a saying that I live by. Never spread your feet farther than your own carpet. And my carpet right now is to enjoy this experience in two weeks. And I'm not going to spread my feet farther. So I don't know. Wow. I also want to say to live in the unknown is very hard to do. Absolutely. I, I think... 
uh, many of my friends, we talk about it. It is the hardest thing to do. And I, and I had a wonderful therapist who said to me, Barbara, it isn't about the result. It's about the journey. And that my dad said there, there needs to be a Love American Style reunion show. <laughs> Have you thought about doing something? And if so, I would love to do it here. I go for it. I'll do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do a Love American Style reunion right here. Listen, Richard, you know, we have a mutual friend, Randy Levine, uh, and she would call me and say, Barbara, I'm doing a show at the at the triad. I said, I'll be there. Yes. I mean, yes. I. Let's make it happen. Let's so, make it happen. Um, I have a calendar and it's called Daily Acts of Kindness. And I'd like to ask you. Uh, have a, a daily act of kindness that you did today prior to today's show? Well, I'm not going to tell you about a daily act of kindness that I did today, but I'm going to tell you one that I did last week. Is that okay with you? That's fine, absolutely. Okay. So Arnie and I were um, on Ventura Boulevard in Encino, I think we were going to a, a Subway restaurant or whatever to get us in. And we saw this homeless young guy. It was very hot. And Arnie said, I'm just, I'm going to give him a couple dollars. So he gave him a couple dollars and we went and got the sandwiches and we came back and we saw this guy and we saw that he didn't have any shoes. Mm. So I said, Hey, there's a Skechers right here. Let's buy this guy a pair of shoes. He he was the nicest young man who was obviously ill and lost. And, and we felt, his name was Brian, and we felt really great oh. taking him into Sketchers and letting him choose a pair of shoes that he, I'm sorry, do we crank? I'm sorry. No, I'm crying too. I, 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 I wanted. And let me tell you about Sketchers. Not my favorite store. However, they said, when we got to the counter, we're giving you these shoes half off. We've never seen that guy again. We draw, we, we're on. You know, I, I'm I'm a valley girl, even though I live in the city. And we have driven. And I always look for Brian, but I, I don't think I'll see him again. Or if I do, it would be nice if he still has his shoes on. But that was really very special. I learned that from my husband because he is always giving people money. Oh, I love that. that's That's what it's about. I love yeah. that. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, may that be a lesson for all of us. Um, what is the biggest culture shock that you feel that you have seen or experienced in your lifetime? I think we're living in it right now. Aren't we? I think so. And, and, and I, I, you know, I'm a half full lady, but there may be, there may be trouble ahead. Yeah. So uh, I think the, it's, the music and dance. Yes. Yeah. So again, 
We just have to live life to the fullest. Um, you know, it, it, I'm very impressed with Theater West because they are COVID uh, conscious. You can't go see the show unless you have your uh, all your shots and booster and you have to staggered seating and you have to wear masks, which I hate wearing masks, but you have to wear masks. And I'm impressed with that. And then if anybody wants to see the show, you will feel safe. But I don't know what the future lies ahead. And we have to get more vaccines, obviously, for what's ahead. And I know we will because I know we will. We've got to do what we've got to do. That's great. Yeah, I, I think we're living in a, in, this is a, is, is a interesting time because it's scary. Now, I have friends that refuse to leave their house. I feel very badly for them. Mm-hmm. Because I think that you have to leave your house. I agree. I totally agree. And it took me a while to get there, Barbara. It did. I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. You know, there's a, listen, Richard, there's a lot of fear out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that people live life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. Granted, when my grandchildren and, or my children had COVID, we would leave at their door yogurt from the yogurt store and go not go in because I don't want to get, you know, can't get COVID. But there is a fine line. You, you, you've got to live life. Right. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier uh, that moment of meeting Molly Pecan and her uh, coming out. I want to ask you, who do you feel is the most interesting person that you met in this business? that you learned a valuable lesson from? The, the most interesting person I've met wasn't in this business, but he catered to people in this business. He owned a resort in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. His name was Bill Hahn, Bill Hahn's resort. And he would have celebrities come to his resort, which was filled with antiques, and do their shows. And after the shows, he would have parties for them with cake. And when, um, this is not part of the show, when Hyman Kaplan closed because we opened the night Martin Luther King was killed, Bill Hahn called me and said, Barbara, I want you to come. Why am I crying? Jeez. I want you to come to the resort and I want you to stay as long as you need to stay to heal. And then you will you'll find your answer where, where you what you want to be, where you want to go. It was I was devastated when the show closed. I mean, it had to close because right. no one knew what, what was life was going to be like, you know, it, it, during that time. That man gave me 10 days of making me feel like a queen. <laughs> I love it. Wow. And I came back and I said, I am going to run, don't walk, to Los Angeles. And look where life brought me. So I am always grateful to Bill Hahn. I even have an antique. Next time I, I do a show or I see you, I'm going to show you the antique he gave me. Oh, I love that. That's so, great. That was a very special person. 
Wow. That was an act of kindness. Absolutely. And you know all about that. Uh, in this current time of unprecedented change and uncertainty, what do you believe that your role is at this time in your life? I believe that my role is to be a role model uh, of being positive, even with illness. I have a very strong issue with illnesses that I, I don't mean to put down people that have illnesses because I have such compassion for people that have are dealing with cancer or heart disease or major illnesses. But I also know that your emotions feed into illness and despair. That's why I like Peggy, by the way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, 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 I think it's really important for me, wherever I, whoever I meet or, or you know, I'm not, I'm not going to walk around and say, hey, you know, emotions. You know, I mean, but that I can be a role model of this, the way I have, what I feel. And I also hurt a lot, too. You know, things happen that hurt, but I can't stay with it. I can't. That's my Chicago accent. Can't. I can't stand it. I can't. And, um, and my last question for you, and, uh, and you may... Uh, not want to tell us what is the best hiding place that you know of? Well, I, I (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) This is the truth. You know, I love jewelry. I don't wear much outside too much these days because you got to be a little careful, but I love jewelry. And I also love my hiding places. And I, we've never been robbed. And please, dear God, poop, poop, poop. I, I don't want to get robbed yeah. because it's a, it feels like a violation. But I love my hiding places. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you, but I yeah. happen to have one with me right here. So I'm never going to use this again. But do you see this? Mm-hmm. Okay. You see this? I'm never going to do it again. So I'm going to share my video. I love this. Okay. So I stick, you should excuse the expression, all my jewelry I used to under this. And I go out. Now, I'm never going to use that one again, by the way. So that hiding place is no more. So we're going to do a giveaway. And let's okay. see, we may be giving away some of uh, Barbara's jewelry tied. So oh. <laughs> now, that no, now that she no longer has a hiding place. And Lisa Rodrigo, Lisa, give me a call in about an hour. and we'll Congratulations, Lisa. Lisa has been uh, my publicist, and Lisa does a phenomenal job. If you're all looking for a publicist, Lisa Rodrigo, call her. I'm going to do this, and I'm, uh, 
I'm going to remove this from the screen. And Barbara, I love you so much. And that's not just lip service. Uh, I'm going to say a few uh, closing remarks, and then I'm going to give you the final screen. And you've got the final word tonight. Uh, and don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. I want to thank you all for showing up tonight. Uh, this is not just 18 minutes of fame. This is a lifetime of fame. And you're more famous than you know, Barbara. Uh, mm -hmm. I just adore you. Uh, I always have from the moment that I've met you. Uh, that, you know, that first mor uh, morning that you and I went and had breakfast together. I uh, have the scarf still. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you gave that, me your scarf. I gave you my scarf. And, uh, and I will give you anything. And I mean that uh, because I just love you so much. Um, you are the real deal. And there aren't too many of those in this business. Um, mm -hmm. And there are so many stories that we could have gone into detail with on tonight's show. But I want you to see the show when you get the chance. Uh, there are some amazing stories. Uh, and the people along the way, Danny Kay, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Uh, you know, uh, those moments that... Uh, those forks in the road where everything changes, uh, uh, TV uh, shows, Broadway shows, uh, everything changing in a moment. We've all had those moments in our lives. And uh, I'm an advocacy, uh, an advocate uh, for Barbara Minkus, always. <laughs> you uh, are. <laughs> yes, and I really mean that. Uh, so my what I want to leave everyone with tonight and I say this, uh, I've said it before, uh, some of you may be hearing it for the first time, and some of you may need to hear it again. I've been thinking a lot um, about Beanie Feldstein and how cruel people have been to her. And people think because she's a Broadway star, I heard someone say, well, her family has lots of money, she can deal with it. Money doesn't take away the pain. I don't know how much money you have. And I'm reminded uh, years ago of Dana Plato and her going on the Howard Stern show and him ambushing her. And that was her last appearance because he didn't know the pain that she was going through. And you never know the pain that someone is going through and you making a comment that's going to put someone over the edge. So be careful of what you say to people. We are all responsible for what we put out in the world. And social media, we all have the power of hitting the like button, yeah. leaving a comment that's positive, and sharing. Because all we want is to be acknowledged in the world in a positive way. And if something is out there that is not going to, and this is the easy way to think about this, is it going to lift that person up? Is it going to lift up the people that are going to see the comment? Or is it going to lift you up? And if it's not going to do all three of those things, hit the hide button or hit the delete button and get rid of it so it doesn't go any further. Right. Um, and I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. After tonight's show, Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the seventh name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. 
and let that person know what they mean to you. Once again, Peggy, I spoke with her the night before she passed away and she was upbeat and she was happy and she left the hospital the next morning and she passed away suddenly. And thank God, the last thing that I said to her was that I loved her and we would be seeing each other in a few weeks. Little did I know. And I don't want to leave on a sad note because it's positive that we said that we loved each other. And I hope that the last thing that you say to anybody tonight, tomorrow, and the next day is that you love them. And let that be the lesson that I leave for all of you tonight. Um, so uh, as my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. But as I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. Now, oh. Barbara, it's all yours. I love you. And now it's time to find a new hiding place. I, <laughs> I have another one. Don't worry. Uh, don't worry about me. Okay. It's all yours. Um, you know, you said something very interesting, Richard. And I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I feel that it's very important that people know that the biggest issues that they need to feel good about within themselves is they need to be acknowledged and they need to feel they make a difference. And a lot of times people unfortunately came from a background with a parents that weren't able to do that because of their own problems and defects or addictions or whatever, that they didn't give that child, that person acknowledgement and that they make a difference. And I am here to tell you, once you start feeling love for yourself, you can reparent yourself. You can acknowledge yourself and know that you make a difference. And it takes practice, practice, practice. And that's what I'm going to leave you with. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes 
Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 